On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we recap the Terps weekend against Coastal Carolina, in which they were swept by the Chanticleers. We also take a look at their midweek win over Delaware and preview their upcoming series at the Bob against the Bryant Bulldogs. Plus, I sit down with Maryland senior reliever Elliot Zollner and talk about the Fuzz's journey through College Park. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Zach Solon. All right, welcome into episode 76 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. I'm your host, Zach Solon, with you as always. And this week, joined by a different Ben, Ben Curtis, taking the week off. I'm with Ben Fisher, one of our writers here on the Maryland Baseball Network. And Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks. You know, um, we, we, you and me talk a lot about uh, about keeping guys rested about about getting different guys reps so i think i think getting mbn's backup ben in is is a good call for at least one podcast <laughs> all right so we're gonna start off talking with the terp series against coastal carolina last weekend down in conway the terps went in there looking to continue their hot streak came into the season at six and one but they dropped all three games they had against the chanticleers they were blown out on friday night also a pretty big deficit lost by seven runs on saturday and then a close game on sunday you thought the terps might have been able to get back in there and come away with a win, but they fell just short, losing 3-2 to two in the series finale. And Ben, to me, what stood out from this Terps team is, is they were really looking for this past weekend to be a measuring stick of where they were. They, they had faced competition so far in the season, but not among the top teams in the country. Coastal Carolina, always a good program. They have a lot to play for this year, and the Terps went in on the road and they struggled, if we're being honest. So the, the pitching still has some work to do. The offense really did not get going at any point over the weekend. So that's kind of what I came away with. I know you weren't down there, but you were following along with the games. What did you notice uh, about the Terps team this weekend? Yeah, I think uh, I think the pitching was definitely a huge thing. You have uh, Sean Fisher is obviously a veteran, but he's, he's adjusting to being a starter. Nick Dean's a freshman. Sean Burke's a freshman. You have a lot of guys coming out of the pen who are freshmen. Um, and they look good through the first two weekends, which which is important. But you and me talked about uh, before they went before they went down to South Carolina that this is the weekend that really tells you where you are as of now. And obviously, you can improve during the season. And and you would hope that if they face them in April, that they would look better than they do playing them in February. Um, but it was it was a measuring stick because uh, with the talent they have, the Terps can come out without necessarily their A plus game, and they can beat teams like Charleston Southern or Iona or Rhode Island. Um, but if you if you don't come out at 100% against Coastal Carolina, which I, I don't think they did, especially Friday and Saturday, you're going to get knocked around like you did there. It's not the national championship team it was in 2016, but they're still, you know, a, a, if not necessarily a nationally elite team this year, they're a nationally elite program overall. Um, but I think the real positive to take away was just Sunday's game in terms of you've had two really tough games, you're away from home, and you could really easily just fold, say, all right, well, it can't really get any worse, so let's just let's just get out of here. Um, but they came out, Burke, I mean, after a leadoff homer, I can't speak for you down in South Carolina, but I was I was listening to you call it, and I was like, all right, here we go again. This, this one's going to be a long afternoon as well. But he settled in. The offense wasn't great, but you're facing the best arms you've seen all year. Um, so I think to battle like that and then by extension to go out in a midweek after such a tough weekend and really come out aggressive, not hang your heads at all about it, I think it says it's it's it shows that you might not be where you are in terms of the the full product on the field, but in terms of the mentality of the team, the way they responded on Sunday and then on Wednesday, I think is something that you would be you would be happy with coming forward. I, I definitely agree with you there. And Maryland did come out in the midweek this past week. They, they got the bats going against Delaware. They were back at home somewhere where they struggled last year, went just 11-15 and 15 at the Bob. So already racking up some wins there. And the midweek games right now are important for the Terps because, yes, you want to have those wins on your resume when it comes time to think about the NCAA tournament later in the season. But also the Terps have a lot of guys that are a little beat up right now, a little injured, and they want to get as many reps for their younger guys as they can. So in the Delaware game, we saw Troy Schreffler start play a full nine innings and that 
that's just something that this Maryland team really needs to work on. So first we'll go back to the series against Coastal Carolina, and uh, we're going to recap the Friday night game first. Not going to spend too much time on it. The Terps fell 16 to nothing. Here's the highlights from that game so you can hear how it all went down. It is a capital B beautiful day down here in Conway, South Carolina, just outside Myrtle Beach, and we've got a full weekend of baseball ahead for you as the Maryland Terrapins visit the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. And now Fisher, who's in the windup, the lefty deals the one-two, a breaking ball called strike three. Great pitch from Sean Fisher, and there's one away. 0-1 on the way, Fisher deals, it's grounded to third, diving stop made by Orlando, throws across the diamond, scooped up by Panero. What a play from the Terps freshman in the hot corner. 3-2 as the runner goes, it's driven a deep left field, and Tucker Flint will watch it fly. A long home run for Mackenzie Pate, and Coastal Carolina strikes first in this one. They're up 2-0. 2-0 pitch is driven out to left field again. Tucker Flint drifting back, and it's back-to-back -back jacks for the Chanticleers. Scott McKeon goes yard, and it's 3-0. His first pitch to Gattinelli is chopped down the third baseline, threw it to left field for a base hit. Rounding second, headed for third is the runner. Lucky, he's getting the wave, and he's going to head home as the throw is cut off. It's a RBI double for Alex Gattinelli, and it's now 4-0 shot to clears. 1-1 breaking ball, gets away from Vote. both runners moving over, throw to third, rolls into left field, that's going to allow Liam to head home to score. That'll be an error on Vote. moving over to third is Brown, and just like that, it's now 6-0 Coastal Carolina. And now Fisher comes set, ready for the 2-0 delivery, he fires, it's hit into right field for a base hit. Scoring easily is Garrison, the Chanticleers move station to station as the throw comes in, and it's now an 8-0 lead for Coastal Carolina. Now Levante comes set, 3-1 pitch, lined into left field, drops in for a base hit. Liam scores, getting the wave is Brown. Here's the throw, it's cut off, he will score. It's a two-RBI single for Tanner Garrison. His first hit and RBI as a collegiate baseball player, and it's now 13-0 Coastal Carolina in the fourth. And now that one-two pitch, hitting the center field, drops in for a base hit. Scoring from third is Johnson, moving over to second is Hyde. It's an RBI single for Kyle Westfall, and it's now a 16-0 lead for Coastal Carolina. And the lefty deals, it's cut on a missed strike three, and Coastal Carolina with a dominant 16-0 victory over Maryland in game one of the three-game set. So you heard it there, Maryland blanked by Coastal in the series opener. It was Zach McCambly who got the start for Coastal Carolina. He went five innings, allowed just two hits, three runs, and six walks. Now he got the win when he qualified there. Ben probably could have gone further in the ballgame, but Coastal obviously wanting to save him earlier in the season. But McCambly, like you said, Coastal Carolina was going to be throwing the best arms that these Terps have faced, and, and McCambly was lights out. Oh, yeah, McCambly, I mean... I got to see him a tiny bit uh, over the summer pitching in the Cape League. And he just looked, in, in addition to the stuff, which you see a lot of different guys with good stuff, but his demeanor really impressed me uh, when I saw him. Of just, he looked, he, he almost looked bored sometimes out on the mound. Of just, when he, when he gets going, he is so in control and so locked in that his stuff is good, but, but when he's really, he's, he's spotting it. Uh, he's really tough to hit, and when you combine that with uh, the the offense that Coastal put out that night, I mean, that was just about as good a game as you can get if you're somebody who wants Coastal Carolina to succeed. Um, and when you go up against that, like you see, even even elite teams are going to have trouble with them when they when they get dialed in like that. So it's understandable that Maryland had some trouble with with McCambly. Yeah, and, and Sean Fisher got the start for the Terps on Maryland's side. And through the first two innings, he looked really good. So in the first inning, on Maryland's side, Chris Allen worked a leadoff walk, and then two strikeouts, Tucker Flint and Randy Bednar go down. Maxwell Costas flies out on a 3-0 count when the Terps had that runner on third base as Allen had moved over. And Maxwell Costas swings at a 3-0 fastball and, and flies it out to center field to end the inning. That was really the best opportunity the Terps got all night. Sean Fisher works a 1-2-3 bottom of the first inning. Looks really good. The Terps again go scoreless in the top of the second. Bottom two, Sean Fisher again faces the minimum. 
Uh, Brian P- or Fox Liam flies out after uh, that was pretty much the only time the Terps were able to get him out all weekend. And then Eric Brown hits a single, but then gets picked off. Sean Fisher had him dead to rights over at second and then gets Walt Richardson to ground out to end that inning. So Fisher faced the minimum through the first two. And you thought, all right, Sean Fisher's looking really, really talented. Might be, you know, something the Terps can actually rely on. We know he looked really good against Charleston Southern and Rhode Island, but then Coastal, like we've been talking about this whole podcast, really being a, a huge challenge. So then in the top of the third inning, the Terps go down scoreless again, and the bottom of the third is where the wheels came off for Sean Fisher and Maryland. Just to break it down quickly, gives up a leadoff single to Dale Thomas, then gets Tanner Garrison out, but then gives up back-to-back home runs, a two-run shot from Mackenzie Pate, the freshman, his first collegiate home run, and then Scott McKee in Coastal Carolina's best hitter and their leadoff guy hits a home run right after that so it's already three nothing and then a walk to nick lucky and then alex gatinelli an rbi double an rbi single for fox liam a single for eric brown that third inning seven runs scored for coastal carolina they were just jumping on top of sean fisher yeah and and that was an inning where just sort of the you you got a snowball rolling downhill sort of feeling of you get one thing and and then it just it just keeps rolling for them uh and coastal i mean they're, one of the things uh, that I, I looked at when, when I saw that they were on the schedule was I was checking, uh, and they were close to tops of the country in walks last season, which can be a double-edged sword of, okay, well, you're patient, but you occasionally, with teams that walk that much, you'll get trips through the order where it just looks like guys don't want to swing the bat, and you'll get guys, uh, you'll get guys taking pitches, you'll get guys uh, getting deep into counts when there are hittable pitches early on. Um, so I think you benefit from that a little bit, but once they once they sort of get, uh, once they get an up close picture of what you look like, because they can they can watch you on film and they can read scouting reports, but once they're you know, everybody coming back leans to the guy in the on deck circle and says, all right, here's what I'm seeing, and they go back in the dugout and the next guy and the next guy, once they get a picture of you, they're they're really dangerous and really difficult to shut down. So I think you you're not going to shut them out. Um, and I think you saw, even on Sunday, the best starting pitching performance. They got a leadoff home run. They're going to get you for some. Um, so I think for Sean Fisher, it's just he he had them until he didn't, um, which you could say is true of, of all pitching outings, but you would hope that you have them for longer than two innings. Um, but again, that's that's a really tough lineup to go up against. Yeah, and you talk about the, the free passes they take as well. Fisher walked just one batter, but on, on the night, Terps pitchers combined to walk five coastal hitters. And it's those free passes that so the Terps have been getting a lot of throughout this season so far, now up to over 30 hit batters after they were hit six times against Delaware in the midweek this past week. But Maryland as a whole really taking those free passes. And I talked to Terps hitting coach Matt Swope this past weekend against Coastal, and he said the teams that always find themselves in Omaha are the ones that take the walks. They take the hit-by-pitches. They don't jump on pitches that aren't strikes. They sit back on everything out of the zone, and they're able to get themselves on base and eventually to score runs and win. And that's what he said Coastal is really good at doing, it, and we saw it this weekend. But also on top of that, they were just jumping on top of Sean Fisher, piling on runs, going on to the fourth inning. The Terps went down in order 1-2-3 against McCambly. He struck out Aaron Perez for his sixth strikeout to end the fourth. And that was his final one of the night. And then back in the fourth inning, Sean Fisher started that inning back out there for the Terps. It was a hit batter. He hit Tanner Garrison to lead it off, gave up a single on a bunt to Mackenzie Pate, and then another bunt single to Scott McKeon. The same guys who hit back-to-back home runs, hit back-to-back bunt singles in the following inning. Nick Lucky, an RBI single, and that would be it for Sean Fisher. Like I said, he goes 3-plus, allows 10 hits, 11 runs, 9 earned, 1 walk, and 3 Ks. He took the loss in that game. So then Trevor Labonte came in, Ben, and he got the first batter, Alex Gattinelli, to strike out, but then issued a walk to Fox Liam that scored a run with the bases loaded, and then Eric Brown, an RBI single as Coastal moves station to station. Then Cooper Weiss comes up and hits a sack fly, and then another walk issued by Labonte, and uh, Coastal just just really struggling. And then after that, they bat around for the second straight inning, a two-RBI single for Tanner Garrison. He gets his first collegiate hit, and then Mackenzie Pay finally lines out to end the inning. But after that, it was 13 to nothing after the fourth. Yeah, and I mean, when when you get in those sort of grooves, and, and it doesn't really, it's never made sense to me how this works, but just the, the way it keeps rolling, because you'll hear the one guy talk about, oh, the ball's looking really big, or the ball's looking really small, and then there are those times where it, 
just feels like you're stepping up and, and it's just everything the pitcher's throwing is a beach ball. Um, so I think just, just, and there are people who try to talk about, you know, momentum doesn't exist and all this stuff and there's no such thing as a hot hand. But once you get going, you, you get going. And, and it happens sometimes. Uh, I mean, we've seen Maryland do it this season. We've seen them bat around a few times. We've seen them have innings where it seems like everything, they're hitting exactly on the button. Um, they hadn't so much had it against them yet, but as we're, we kept saying, and I suspect we'll say again before we're done recording, they hadn't faced a team as good as Coastal Carolina yet. So I think you'd like to say... Um, You'd like to be able to sit there and say, well, the game's never over, and you'd like to gather the team around in the dugout and give them a rousing speech about, hey, it's 13 nothing, and they did it to us, so we can do it to them. Uh, but, but really, when you're down at that point, I think what it becomes is, and, uh, and, and I'm going to quote uh, Bill Belichick just, just to let my <laughs> Boston be shown, uh, when he was talking about uh, the Patriots getting blown out in a game once, and he said, I knew we weren't going to win, but I wanted us to see down the stretch of the game how we came out and how we competed because once the game's over, the game's over. But if you fold, then you might wake up the next morning and go, man, we folded and we, we got our lunch handed to us. Or you can wake up the next morning and go, all right, we had a couple bad innings, but we kept battling and, and we can take these guys. So I I totally see what you're saying there. That That was... You know, just something that the Terps wanted to try to move on from. And then it would be 14 nothing after the fifth. But that bottom of the fifth inning is where things went from bad to worse for the Terps. So Mike Vasturia, making his first appearance of the season, comes into the game. And the knuckleballer throws one pitch to Justin Vogt behind the plate. And then he comes up kind of sore with his hip. And he's taken out of the game immediately. Tavin Shahidi comes in. Justin Vogt leaving with an injury. He's now listed as day-to-day. Terps not sure yet when they're going to have him back. They're hoping sooner rather than later. But when you look at it, Ben, he's a guy who's started pretty much every inning behind the plate over the past two years for this Maryland team. And that, that's a tough loss for them, especially going up against a big a big opponent like Coastal. Oh, absolutely. I think Justin Vogt, he has um, what you see a lot when you talk about the great catchers is he has um, he's just a great leader. And it seems like uh, in, the, in the limited conversations I've had with pitchers, they feel really comfortable throwing to him. Uh, he he blocks everything. He catches everything. He steals some strikes, uh, which I think is impressive. Um, and just the confidence of having him back there. Of when you when you can show up at the park and know, all right, well, you know, somebody else may be starting and left. Somebody else may be starting at first, but I know who's behind the plate for us. That can be a real confidence boost, especially when it's a guy like Justin Vote who can get going with the bat, uh, who's always so consistent uh, behind the plate. Um, and really does a huge amount to control the running game. Um, so losing him, him definitely hurts. Tavon Shahidi brings, uh, brings something different. I mean, offensively, we saw it against Delaware. He, he hit that ball a long way. He's a big guy. He's a strong guy. Uh, he hasn't quite settled in to be hitting for average, but, but he's going to run into balls. And he also has a little bit of just sort of the fear factor of when he comes up to the plate in the middle of the order. You have this big guy, wrist-taped, bare hand, Kenny Loggins, danger zone. Um, you, you're just, he's not, regardless of his numbers, you're going to be a little bit hesitant to face him because you're worried he's going to take you onto the highway. Um, he's not quite as comfortable defensively uh, as, as Justin Vogt is. Um, I think there have been sections of the games that I've watched him in where I've been really impressed. I've really liked uh, sometimes when he's when he's really sort of moving his feet and blocking balls. Uh, I, I think he looks really good. Um, I think he's not quite as good at controlling the running game, which I think is going to be, uh, if, if Vote is out for a little bit longer, it's going to be something where um, Corey Muscara is going to have to get with the pitchers and, and get with Tavin Shahidi and say, all right, well, we're going to need to, if, if you're not sort of naturally uh, Yadier Molina throwing guys out from your knees, we're, we're going to need to figure this out because regardless of, of how strong the arm behind the plate is, you, you can find ways to control a running game. And, and I think Coach Muscara is, is definitely, uh, would definitely be able to do that. Um, but yeah, losing Justin Vote. I mean, in the middle of a game, especially it feels like getting kicked while you're down, when you're down 14 nothing, and yeah. your starting catcher goes out. Um, but just the, the overall, the number of different things that Justin Vogt contributes to this team 
uh, is is immense. And he's, even when he's not hitting, which happens sometimes, he's really, really important, uh, both for, for his measurables and sort of the intangibles uh, that he brings to the team. Yep, so uh, vote goes down. Mike Mosturia, though, a solid outing for him. He goes three and a third, allows six hits, two runs, two earned, one walk, and five strikeouts. Now, the zone did expand there by the end of the game as it was a 16 to nothing loss for the Terps after Coastal Carolina put up two more in the eighth, but Maryland looking to put that one behind him. Went into the game on Saturday with a fresh mindset. They changed all their superstitions, sat around different tables at breakfast. Everyone just kind of following a little bit of a, a different set because after a 16 nothing loss you kind of want to reset still had a chance to win the series it was going to be Nick Dean going on the mound against Scott Kobos a pitcher the Terps had seen before and here's the highlights the Terps fell 10 to 3 after dropping game one of the series last night, the Maryland Terrapins baseball team is back in action for the middle game of a three-game set against Coastal Carolina. Dean in the stretch, comes set, kicks, fires the 2-0. A breaking ball is lined to left field, chasing back Tucker Flint, and that ball is off the left field wall. Lucky will score easily, rounding first, heading into second is Gatinelli. Sliding, he's safe in there with an RBI double. Now the 2-0 is chopped to third, through into left field for a base hit. Alleyne rounds first as that ball rolls all the way to the corner. Bubba's headed into second, and he's in there with a leadoff stand-up double. First hit of the day for the Terps. Now the 2-1 misses inside, gets away from Garrison. Here comes Alleyne, and he will score. The Terps tie it up, and it's 1-1 here in the fourth. The freshman in a big spot deals. Is lined into right field, drops in for a base hit. Getting the wave is Lucky. Here's the throw from Bednar. Lucky is safe. Coastal Carolina has the lead back. They, they're up 2-1 to one after the RBI single from Fox Liam. Hands at the chest this time. Deals the pitch behind Pate. Gets away from Shahidi. Here comes Weiss. He will score. And it's now 3-1 Coastal Carolina on the wild pitch. Hine in the windup now with the bases loaded. First pitch is lined to left field. Drops in for a base hit. One run scores. Flint Fields. Here comes Brown. He will score. It's a two-run single for Tanner Garrison, and now a 6-1 lead for Coastal Carolina. And now the 2-1 pitch is lined to right center field. It's in the gap, and it drops in for a base hit, and it'll roll all the way to the wall. Alleyne rounds second. He's getting the wave. Bednar into second. Alleyne rounds third. He's headed home. He is safe. It's an RBI single for Randy Bednar, and the Terps don't go quietly. It's 6-2. The next pitch is grounded to third, past the diving Orlando. Threw into left field for a base hit and will roll all the way to the corner. One run scores. Here comes Brown. He will score. It's a two-run double for Cooper Weiss. And just like that, Coastal Carolina is in double digits again. They lead 10-3 over Maryland. And the Coastal Carolina fans on their feet. They have a chance to win the series. The 3-2 pitch. Chops softly to first. Fielded there by Zach Beach who steps on the bag himself for the final out of the game. Coastal Carolina defeats Maryland 10-3 and they win the series here on Saturday. So you heard it there. The Terps certainly staying in that one a little longer until Coastal blew it back open in the later inning. Scott Kobos got the start for Coastal Carolina. He went just three and two-thirds but was perfect his first time through the order. Coastal got their first run in the bottom of the first inning off an RBI single from Alex, or an RBI double from Alex Gatinelli that scored Nick Lucky. So it was one nothing Coastal after one, but the Terps would tie it up in the fourth. In that inning, Chris Aline led off with a double. He now leads the Big Ten in doubles on the year. Randy Bednar then flew out, moved Aline over to second, and then Maxwell Costas came up and drew a walk. Tavin Shahidi drew a walk to load the bases. That brought up Tucker Flint, and on there, in that at-bat, Chris Aline scored on a wild pitch. So Maryland had evened it up at one through four and Nick Dean was looking really solid up to that point but then in the fifth inning Scott McKeon flew out Nick Lucky worked a walk off Nick Dean and then stole a base or excuse me then yeah then stole a base and then Alex Gatinelli struck out and then that brought up Fox Liam who had an RBI single he would finish with a bunch of RBIs on the weekend over six through the first couple of games then Eric Brown grounded out so Coastal retook the lead it was two to one after five and that would be the end of Nick Dean's day he goes five innings allowing six hits two earned runs three walks and six strikeouts but the freshman looks solid Ben really able to hold down this Coastal lineup yeah and that's a huge confidence builder I think when you go to uh, that stadium, and, and they certainly, with, with the decorations and the things around, they don't let you forget that they won a national championship four years ago. Uh, so, so you know when you're there uh, that you're going up against an elite program. So obviously you'd like to get the win, um, but, but when you're Nick Dean, you're walking off the mound, and, and they tell you that that's your afternoon, 
you can still sit there and hold your head high and say, I, I gave them a chance to win. I, I kept us in this game uh, for as long as, as I could. Um, so I think that's definitely, even though you don't get the win, uh, and even though the score ends up sort of lopsided, Nick Dean can walk away from that and, and think, I, I really showed up against, against a nationally elite program. Yes, that's certainly a a good sign for Maryland. We talked at length so far throughout this year about how important these freshmen are going to be, and two of them start on the weekend, so that's huge. On the Terps' offensive side, once Alaska Abney came into the game with two outs in the uh, top of the fourth inning is when it was pretty much over for the Terps. Abney goes four and a third, allows four hits, two earned runs, one walk, and six strikeouts. He got the win in the game as he just absolutely shut down the Terps. Coastal Carolina got to the Maryland bullpen after that. Ryan Ramsey comes in, gives up one run in the sixth, and then a couple more in the seventh. Ryan Ramsey goes an inning and a third, allows one hit, but three earned runs, two walks, did not strike out anyone. Sean Hine comes in, uh, pitches one inning, three hits, five runs, four earned, three walks and one strikeout, so for Hine, unable to bounce back. Chris Chaney did make his Terps debut in the bottom of the eighth inning, gave up a two-RBI double to Cooper Weiss, but then got the next two batters he faced out, and the Terps coming in against Casey Green then in the ninth inning, already down 10-3, to and uh, Green works a 1-2-3 inning, and that's where the Terps fell on Saturday. It was 10-3, and Ben, after that, you've got two losses, a 16-run loss on Friday, a 7-run loss on Saturday. Terps had their backs to the wall, and were just looking to get home with any kind of win they could get. Yeah, and, and in a weird way, it's it's a little bit uh, liberating to, to lose two games like that. You've, you've had a rough weekend. You've had sort of some little knocks. You've, had, you've gotten sort of blown out twice. So you can come out Sunday and say, especially given that it's not a series where, oh, if we lose, our season's over. Or if we, You can come out on Sunday and say, we don't really have anything to lose. It's not going to get any worse than it got on Friday. Yeah. So let's go out. Let's not sort of play sort of tight because, you know, we've had we've had two bad days and, and we're we're down against a good team. Let's go out. Let's let's play loose. Let's let's see what we can do. Let's let's try to. If we're not, if we can't win, let's try to at least build momentum, or not sort of have the kind of game where you're really you get crushed and everybody's mad and people are breaking water coolers and stuff. Because that's the kind of thing where you can really carry it with you for the next couple of weeks of just an ugly series, ugly bus ride, all of that, and then you you go back on Wednesday and you're still thinking about the weekend before. Yeah. Um, and that can really, really snowball and really derail you for, for a few weeks or, or maybe even longer. Um, so I, I think you'd obviously rather win, but, but I think um, I think if they gave and, and obviously I wasn't there for, uh, for the for the coaches uh, pregame talks and stuff, but but I think what you say is, hey, let's we, we haven't played two games. We're, we're only playing one yeah. game today. So let's go out there, let's let's giddy up and try to get them. And then once we're on the bus, apart from watching film and, and breaking stuff down, this, this series is over. We're, we're not going to be mad about it. We're not going to be, you know, sitting there on Wednesday and we, we don't get a call and we're screaming and we, we sit down and we're like, man, Coastal Carolina. We're, we're, you, so I think, I think just using those two blowouts as, as an example and as a lesson, but not as something to, to really hold on to emotionally as much. And that's what the Terps look to do. After dropping back-to-back games for the first time this season, the Maryland Terrapins baseball team is back in action, looking for a win in the final game of a three-game set against the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. Burke winds the 2-0 pitch is lined out to left field pretty deep going back Flint at the track at the wall and that ball is gone a leadoff home run for Scott McKeon his second of the series and Coastal Carolina with an early lead again it's one to nothing Burke deals it's cut on and missed three straight strikeouts for Sean Burke and how about that for a bounce back off of first an 0-1 count on the batter alley and here's the pitch it's a breaking ball hit through the right side into right field for a base hit Orlando scores Cowell stops at second it's an RBI single for Aline, and this game is tied at one here's the pitch it's cut on and missed Sean Burke another strikeout that's his seventh of the day now here's the 1-1 pitch it's grounded up the middle fielded by the shortstop passed into center field for a base hit Aline scores moving over to third is Flint it is an RBI single for Randy Bednar 
Burke sets the one-two pitch. It's lined out to right field. This will get the run in and it drops in for a base hit. Scoring is lucky. Stopping at first with an RBI single is Fox Liam. It's his sixth RBI of the weekend. And it's a tie game, 2-2. Now Stain looks. The 2-2 pitch. Lined up the middle through into center field for a base hit. Kirkley rounding third. He's getting the wave. He comes home with no throw. Moving over to third is Eric Brown. And Coastal Carolina has the lead. It's 3-2 on an RBI single from Cooper Weiss. The payoff pitch, Chase Antle kicks and fires. It's a breaking ball, fisted up the middle, hit to the second baseman, Brown who steps in the back for one, on to first, in time, double play, and Coastal Carolina sweeps Maryland in the weekend series. February baseball behind them, March 1st on Sunday, and the Terps went down in order 1-2-3 to start the game against Nick Parker, but then Sean Burke came out, the redshirt freshman, who really has been really good so far this season. Coming into the game, he had made two starts, pitched 10 and two-thirds, allowed just one earned run and 16 strikeouts. And he started off the game giving up that leadoff home run to Scott McKeon, but struck out the next three batters he faced. And then this game was kind of a pitcher's duel through it. The Terps evened it up in the third inning, a leadoff double for Matt Orlando, the freshman getting a big hit there. Ben Cowles with a single moves Orlando over, and then Austin Chavis struck out, but Chris Aline, an RBI single to score Orlando. And just like that, after three, it was one-to-one. One. And Sean Burke continued cruising. He worked a 1-2-3 inning in the fourth, didn't allow any runs in the fifth, actually allowed just one base runner, and Sean Burke still going strong. Then we got to the top of the sixth inning, and the Terps took their first lead of the weekend. It was a leadoff walk issued to Chris Aline. Tucker Flint gets on on an error. Randy Bednar hits an RBI single into the, or through the shift, and then Maxwell Costas and Tavin Shahidi get out. But before then, you know, the Terps had a 2-1 lead, and with Sean Burke on the mound, he had been dealing, but after six, he had kind of hit his pitch count. was right around 100, and that was going to be it for him. So after the bottom of the sixth inning, that's when Burke went out there for his last inning of work, gave up a leadoff walk to Nick Lucky. Alex Gatinelli moves him over on a sacrifice bunt. Fox Liam, who had a very hot weekend, hits an RBI single, and just like that, it was tied 2-2 again. And Sean Burke comes out of the game after six. He goes six innings, allows three hits, two earned runs, three walks, and another eight strikeouts. Ben, I know the Terps lost this game, but Sean Burke looked really, really good. Yeah, and and you know how disappointed I was not to see him come out for the seventh, because I told you before that game, I said, Sean Burke's going to strike out ten guys. <laughs> and he had eight through six innings, and I was I was feeling good. Um, but it's absolutely the right decision. I mean, he's he's a freshman. Um, we've seen, we saw a couple times in the in the Rhode Island series that we were both at, um, that they like to take pitchers out on a high note. They like to take a guy out once he's gotten an out, not necessarily after he, after he gives up a base runner. So I think he's he's given up a run, but he's he's worked out of the inning. You're in a tie game. Um, he's he's at almost a hundred pitches. So I think just just don't try to overtax him. Don't don't say you got to go win us this one because you're gonna have ten other games where you're gonna say, all right, Sean, we need you to go out and get us this one. Um, so I think similar to Nick Dean, letting him come out of that game with his head held high saying, I, I took it to one of the best teams in the country or not this year, but they're a good team. Uh, so I, I think taking him out of the game was absolutely the right call, even though, you know, you may want to see more of him. I know I emotionally as a Massachusetts guy who said he was going to strike out 10 guys. I had, I had two reasons that I wanted him to stay out there. Um, but I, I think you have to turn it over to the bullpen there. So I think um, even even though they didn't they weren't able to get the win, I think it's absolutely the right decision. And if you, you put me in the manager's spot, I, I would do the same thing. So the Terps go down scoreless in the top of the seventh inning against Shadden PV House, first team all name selection um, <laughs> on uh, Coastal Carolina's roster. He relieved starter Nick Parker. PV House got the win in the ball game because in the bottom of the seventh, Connor Stain came on for the Terps, worked a scoreless inning, but then PV House worked a one-two-three top of the eighth, bottom eighth. Coastal got a chance and they took it against Stain. He gets the first two batters he faces out, then gives up a single to Fox Liam, walks Eric Brown, and then an RBI single off the bat of Cooper. Weiss made it a 3-2 ball game and then after another walk Elliot Zollner came into the game and struck out Kyle Westfall 
to kind of keep the Terps within one, but that one run was all that Coastal needed because they brought in their closer, Chase Antle, into the ballgame, throwing 99-mile-an-hour fastball, struck out Maxwell Costas, walked Tavin Shahidi, and then the Terps pinch ran with Bobby Zamarzlak trying to keep the game close, but then Michael Panero hitting into a double play to end the game, and Maryland falls 3-2, to two, and they are swept by Coastal Carolina. Ben, your final thoughts on the weekend? I think um, obviously you'd you'd like to compete more. I think I think Sunday um, was was definitely a positive sign for the development of the program. Um, I think you definitely take away like we talked about the positives of of those freshman starters, uh, the positives of the battle. Um, I mean, in game three you had you only scored two runs, but. Those are the two kind of runs you want to get. One that starts with the bottom of your order getting hits, and another one that's your leadoff hitter gets on, your two-hitter moves him up, your three-hitter knocks him in. That's ex- that's exactly what you want. Um, and then you, you saw how important uh, the bullpen is, especially those guys who are sort of the bridge guys from starters uh, who to get over to Zollner and, and maybe Labonte if he's going to be used in high-leverage spots. Um those young guys, you've seen how uh, how important they can be when they pitch well and they turn it over to the back end of the bullpen with the game in really good shape. And then this weekend, you you saw how the wheels can come off uh, when those middle inning guys aren't aren't quite as effective and aren't aren't getting outs as well. Um, so this weekend, it uh it it showed what can happen when when things go wrong for the Terps. Um, but it also it said a lot about their character and it said a lot about about how they're going to respond to things like this, similar to the extra inning game they played their first weekend, where you saw they're not going to fold, uh, and they're not just going to going to give up when they get down and that sort of stuff. So I think it's not that difficult, even though it, it's a weekend where, on the surface, you look at it and say, man, we got swept, we lost two blowouts, then we lost one late. Um, but I think it's not too difficult to look at it uh, and and find some positives that you can take forward for the Terps. Yes, and the Terps did look to get their momentum back on track when they came into a midweek game this past Wednesday against the Delaware Blue Hens back at the Bob, and the Terps came out firing on offense and got the victory. Here's the highlights. It is home sweet home for the Maryland Terrapins as they get set for a midweek matchup against the Delaware Blue Hens. Here is the 2-2 pitch to Costas, a breaking ball line hard right up the middle and into center field for a base hit. Alleyne rounding third, he will score. It's an RBI single for Maxwell Costas, and the Terps strike first in this one. They're up 1-0. Now Shabel comes set, delivers the 0-2 pitch. It's lined into left center field, drops in for base hit. Ben Cowles scores, rounding second, heading for third is Alleyne. Bednar is trying for two. The throw, he is safe. And it's an RBI double for Randy Bednar. He's got 12 on the season. First pitch to Shahidi is rocked to left center field. That one is deep. That ball is gone. Tavin Shahidi with his first home run of the season. And the Terps lead 3-0. Here is the 2-2 pitch. It's lined hard out to left field. Drifting back is Jewel, and he can't make the play. It's over his head, and one hops into the wall. Flint scores. Here comes Orlando. He will score. Cowles is into second with a two-RBI double. It's 5 nothing Terps. The 2-2 is lined into left field. Cowles got on top of that one, and that one is gone. Benjamin Cowles, the dinger there. That one just flew out of the ballpark. The backspin on that one just kept that one going. It's flown out to left center field, drifting over his Alleyne and Flint, and they're going to watch it fly. It's a home run for Kyle Baker. First one of the day for Delaware, and for Baker, his first of the season. And just like that, it's now a 9-6 lead for the Terps. The first pitch, it's up high, gets away from the catcher. Bednar comes home, he scores. As Yakevich could not find it, it's now a 10-6 lead for Maryland. And now the 3-1 from Pomato misses up high, gets away from Yakevich. Aline comes home, he will score as Shahidi works a walk, so it'll be a runner on first and now a 13-6 lead for the Terps. Here's the 2-0, it's a breaking ball, grounded to short, this could do it. Cowles fields and throws to first in time for the final out, and the Terps beat Delaware 13-6. So you heard it there, the Terps come away with a 13-6 victory, Maryland getting 13 runs on 15 hits. Zach Thompson got the start for the Terps, perfect through the order his first time through in his first three innings, but then got a little shaky in the fourth, and it was already a 6-0 ball game 
game at that point. Chris Allen, a leadoff double. Maxwell Costas, an RBI single. Tavin Shahidi, a home run. Ben Cowles had five RBIs on the day. He had an RBI double in the third. But then in the fourth, Zach Thompson allowing three runs. And Coastal, or not Coastal, excuse me, Delaware gets back into it. And then Thompson comes back out for the fifth. And then another couple of runs get on base. Sean Hine comes in, gives up a couple of more runs. And Ben, at one point, it was a 6-5 ball game after the Terps had a 6-0 lead. Yeah, and I think uh, when we talked to Coach Vaughn after the game, he was saying that uh, it's just something of that that uh, bottom of the third inning was a long inning. And you like mm-hmm. to get run support, but as a pitcher, you're almost like, all right, well, you know, 4 nothing's enough. Let me Let me get back out there and stay in rhythm. Um, so I think it's just sort of you sit down, you, you lose your rhythm, especially uh, for a guy like Thompson who was working quick, throwing strikes. He had 27 pitches through three innings. He, he was not messing around. Um, so for a guy like him, anything that, that throws off your rhythm can, can potentially uh, be, be a problem. So I think, I think that was what allowed Delaware to get back in the game which obviously has a strategic move. I wouldn't advise letting the opponents hit for 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, but in this case, it, it almost worked, uh, even though I don't, I don't think it was exactly their plan. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you try to take away, uh, you try to take away the positive and you try to look at his, his first few trips through, or it, just his first trip through where he was perfect on three pitches per batter. Um, but yeah, I think, Again, once once Delaware made it a game again, you're you're impressed by Maryland's response to not let that comeback sort of overwhelm them, but to sort of take take the counterpunch and then throw right back. Yeah, Ben Cowles, who I mentioned, had an excellent outing uh, on the night. He had five RBIs on the day. He had a home run his second of the season to start off the fifth inning. Delaware would bring it close again in the bottom of the fifth. But then the Terps blew it back open in the sixth inning. Another couple of runs. RBI sack flies from Ben Cowles and Austin Chavis. In the seventh inning, the Terps put up three more, getting an RBI walk from Ben Cowles. That would be his fifth of the day. And the Terps continuing to cruise. Connor Stain in relief be is solid again. He goes one inning, allows two hits. One run, one earned, one walk, one K, the one 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 line you uh, all ask for. C.J. Shabel, the starter for Delaware, goes just two and a third, allows eight hits, six earned run, two, two walks, two Ks. He takes the loss. The Terps in total pile on 13 runs and 15 hits. And Elliot Zollner closing out for the Terps. He pitches the eighth and the ninth, allows just one hit, his first one of the season, no runs, no walks, and two Ks. The fuzz solid at the end of the game. And Ben, the Terps now starting a five-game homestand, so they already got one win over Delaware. They'll welcome Bryant this weekend. But how important is it for Maryland to get this win again after the sweep of Coastal going into the weekend? I think it's incredibly important. I think this, you you would look at five games of Delaware, Bryant, and James Madison, you might say, they play Coastal and they, they play, you know, Minnesota and Ohio State. These games don't matter. But when you have these five home games, really winnable home games, sandwiched between a trip to Coastal and then the trip to TCU uh, that, that you're going to be going on, um, it's really important to pick up momentum because if you have Coastal and then you go in and you have some really, you have more tough games, you get really, and, and it's good to be challenged, but if you're if you're losing a lot, you can get really, really down on it. Um, so I think these winnable games, you're home, you're, you're going through your routine of, of what you do when, when you're in college park, it's good. It allows you to get rested. It might allow guys, uh, who aren't feeling their best to sort of heal a little bit, get, get treatment like that. Um, and then hopefully you have this team at a hundred percent and in rhythm, uh, when they, when they go to play TCU. So to get that win against Delaware, Especially the way they did, showing uh, showing a lot of character um, in in what was a back and forth game when when things weren't always going their way. Um, I think that really allows you to put the negatives from Coastal behind you and say, "All right, we're on to this homestand, uh, and and these are games where we really feel like we should be taking wins away." Yeah. So Maryland gets the win. 13 to 6 and Ben I know it was a 1 and 3 week for the Terps but they did end it on a high note who is your Terp of the week I may be biased because it was it was the only game I was at but I got to give it to Ben Cowles I really 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 liked the bats he was having uh, against Delaware I liked the swings he was putting on the ball um worked two walks um and they were both at bats where it wasn't just the pitcher couldn't find the plate he he went down on the count 
and then he was he was fighting pitches off. He was working. Um, and also, I think just the defense has been shaky so far this mm-hmm. season. But I think having, like I talked about with vote at catcher, having a guy like Cowles at shortstop, where every time the ball is hit to him, I say, all right, that's a 6-3 ground out. We don't really need to worry about it. So I think overall on the season, he's been very steady. Um, and, and he'll be a valuable player, even if he's getting a hit two out of every 10 times. But when he comes up and hits like he did against Delaware, he is incredibly valuable, especially giving you that run production at the bottom of the order and then turning it over to Aline and Bednar and Costas, your real sort of those guys who you're relying on to produce runs every single day. Yeah, Cal's a guy who hit right at the Mendoza line last year, really struggled to play at the beginning of the season, but he finally got going, had a couple of hits in the Sunday game against Coastal, and then, like we said, five RBIs and a home run yesterday. Certainly starting to feel himself. Now, defensively, just based on the Terps' depth in the infield, as long as Cal stays healthy, that shortstop position is his. But obviously, when you have a shortstop, the Terps had A.J. Lee last year, who was also their top hitter. So, you know, you want to get production from the six-hole in your lineup. So my Terp of the week is going going to be a freshman. I'm going to go with Sean Burke. Now, he came out on Sunday. The Terps had already lost the series, but he wanted to keep them in it, and that's exactly what he did. Six innings, three hits, two runs, three walks, eight strikeouts for the third straight start, and he was just really impressive. He went out there, nothing behind him. He did exactly what you said they needed to do, which was ignore the fact that what happened on Friday and what happened on Saturday, come out on Sunday and just deal, and just the resiliency of him. Gives up the leadoff home run, then three straight strikeouts in the first, and just works his way through a very good coastal lineup. We saw over the weekend how much the Chanticleers can hit, and that's all they did pretty much against Maryland. They were held to just five hits on Saturday or on Sunday after they had 11 on Saturday and 18 on Friday. So Coastal looked really good, but Sean Burke, who I think most pitchers after seeing them after those first two games would be pretty nervous, but Burke came in and, and just mowed them down. And despite the two runs, which ended up being the difference maker in the ballgame, Burke was solid, and he's going to get the, the Turp of the Week award from me. Yeah, and he's, he's had a year to see what college baseball is like, yeah. taking a redshirt year. But it is important, like we talked about with Dean, like we talked about with Burke, building up that, that belief of, because you can come up, to the next level. And these guys know they're good. You're not playing in a Big Ten school if you're if you're not really, really, really talented. Um, but you can get, when you have games like they had against Coastal or, or if you don't feel your best, you can have sort of a day where you feel like, mm, I, I, I don't know if I have it. I, I don't know if I'm going to succeed here. Um, so I think that was a huge building block for Burke. And we've seen him. I mean, he has great stuff. He's, he's a big kid. He throws hard. Um, he's, I think... It's, it's going to be tough for him not to be at least moderately successful as a college pitcher. And, you know, he, he could certainly, you, you would think he'll have a chance to go beyond that. Um, but it, it starts with putting up solid starts against good teams uh, and building that belief in yourself so that you can go out next time you're throwing and go, all right, I got this. Yeah. You know? So another pitcher who's been having a pretty successful year for the Terps so far is senior Elliot Zollner. He's one of just two seniors on the roster, and this week I had the chance to sit down with Elliot, talk about his journey to his senior season here at Maryland, going all the way back to when he first picked up a baseball so many years ago. So here's my interview with Maryland relief pitcher Elliot Zollner. So I am now joined by Maryland senior reliever Elliot Zollner, and Elliot, to put you on the spot, first question, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Elliot, uh, the time of recording just pitched yesterday against Delaware, two scoreless innings. And so let's start with this season. So far, you've kind of seen yourself come into a late inning role, which obviously is a reliever. You know, you got to be ready to go at any point in time. But so far, you're through about five or six innings pitched on the year now and in a couple of different appearances. And you haven't allowed any runs. And you've allowed just one hit. Have you been kind of feeling your pitches a little more and, and just working better with the, with the team behind you? What's been going on? Yeah, I think that's a, a really good um, explanation because uh, we've been working to pitching to strengths. That's kind of been a theme this year among um, our staff and coaches repeated multiple times. Um, I think having really good feel uh, that I've developed through summer ball in the last year has helped a ton. And honestly, just going out and having a ton of fun. You know, it's my senior year. You know, you know uh, the next day is never guaranteed, especially not the next season. Um, so it's really just going out there, having fun, and having a great time in your possible last season. So you are one of just two seniors on the team, Tyler Blome being the other one. 
So you guys are kind of uh, in, a, in a position to be leaders on this squad, especially it's a very young team, a lot of newcomers, and also a very talented freshman class. What has your relationship been like, first with all these new guys coming in, the freshmen, especially on the pitching side, but just in, in general as well? I'll tell you what, there's, I mean, I'm trying to think. I, I only recognize three or four faces that I've seen uh, through three or four years here. Yeah. You know, there's been a lot of turnover, but – this year, compared to all the years I've been here, we've had the best culture. We've had the most cohesiveness on and off the field. Um, and it's just coming to the ballpark every day and being around guys that are so close is really – it's really special. And I think that that's something that's really unique to this year compared to my other years here. Now, what's your relationship like with Tyler Blome specifically? I haven't had a chance to talk to him on this podcast yet this year. And obviously, he's still trying to work his way back to getting into game action. But you guys are the only two left. You guys – have you sat down at all and kind of thought about how much has changed from your first season here? And, and just what's your overall relationship like with him? Well, it's funny you ask that. Um, so I've known Tyler since I was probably 10, 11. Um, mm -hmm. And I've played with and against him. Um, we're from the same area. Uh, played against each other in youth ball. And then towards travel ball, we started playing together. And then in high school, uh, our high schools played together um, or played against each other. Same with Zach Thompson. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's just been really, really fun playing with him, um, knowing him this whole time, and being able to look back off all of these memories for the last, I guess, 10 years or so, and especially these last four, um, you know, and just telling the young guys uh, and teaching them what we've been through, you know, and trying to help them mature. Um, that's something that coaches have always told us is to help the uh, young guys mature because the faster you can get a young team to be ready and work cohesively, the better, right? So uh, I think that's kind of a common theme him and I have talked about in trying to really help the younger guys on our team. All right. So you talked about your coaches a lot there. So you're now, after your freshman year, Corey Muscaro and, and Rob Vaughn took over. What's your relationship like first with Moose, just from a pitching standpoint? When he came in, obviously you had just come off your freshman year, only pitched in one game, so you were still kind of getting the feel for things. So when Moose came in, what did he say to all the pitchers on the staff? What was he trying to focus on specifically with you? And then what's your relationship with him like overall? Uh, well, my relationship with him has been great. Um, when he first came in, it was a clean slate. I wasn't recruited by him. Uh, in fact, most of the guys that um, had played my sophomore year, his yeah. first year, uh, were not recruited by him. So everything was very new, kind of just playing it by ear, right? But he came in and he um, he had the most trust in our pitchers that year. We only had, I think, eight or nine arms total on the staff. Uh, so everybody was going to play no matter what. Um, that year we didn't worry about stats at all. It was all about just finishing the game, making sure we have uh, – we give our offense a chance to win it. So that was our first year, and then since then, we've really built up the staff, and um, we've become more familiar with each other, obviously. And uh, since then, you know, everything has just been all about development, maturation, getting feel for pitches, pitching to our strengths, um, a lot of common themes that Corey likes to talk about a lot. Mm -hmm. So I want to go all the way back now, get to know you a little better. Um, obviously, I assume you started playing baseball as a kid, but when did you start pitching and really realizing that that's what you wanted to focus on, especially like when you started getting recruited and whatnot and, and what everyone was looking at? So I actually uh, – I started baseball a little bit later than everybody else, uh, probably around 10 or 11 years old. Okay. Um, started as a catcher and uh, not the best bat, but had a good arm. So I was throwing some guys out. Um, but over time, I ended up uh, transitioning to pitcher. Um, and that was around 11, or I'm sorry, 12, 13-ish. Um, and since then, I really never looked back. I've kind of been a PO my whole life, <laughs> if you think about it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, PO through high school. And then um, you said you, you want to talk about recruiting? Yeah. Yeah. So What's your uh, experience with that? It's funny. Um, I was the first guy offered to Maryland and the last guy to commit. I was offered twice, so I was uh, one of the first offers of the 2016 class, or uh, I guess you call it 2016, freshman year coming uh, in. Yeah, for you, it's uh, 2016, I think. Yeah. yeah, right, right. So one of the first guys offered, um, I waited a little bit, and then the offer closed. I uh, ended up visiting a lot of schools. Um, I think it was like 17 or something wow. like that. Yeah, all, all types, big, small, yep. everything. Um, 
kept all my options open. And uh, I, uh, I guess my junior summer coming into senior year of high school, um, I pitched well, uh, got another offer, and I was the last guy committed in our class. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a really funny turn of events. Um, but I've been a Maryland fan pretty much my whole life. Um, and my parents went here, or my mom did, dad uh, did some work here. And it was kind of an easy choice at the end, you mm-hmm. know, being so close to home, great academics, um, and just great baseball. Uh, last couple of years, we faltered a little bit, but when I was uh, being recruited, we were super regionals, you know, always a very, very good team. So, like I said, it was kind of an obvious choice at that point. And then you come in. First of my question is, when did the sidearm develop as a pitcher? And Because and, that's something you don't see a lot anymore, especially. But it, you're one of the, the guys who it really works for. So when did that, when did you kind of develop that? And at what point in, in your baseball career did that come in? And, and what have your coaches said about it? Has it ever been – because sometimes I know it could be a deterrent from some coaches because I guess just the motion of the arm. I'm not a pitcher myself. <laughs> but just um, how it works. But obviously you make it work, especially with that slider you throw. So when did that kind of come in? And then when did you develop that slider? So that's uh, that's a pretty – late development. Um, I've been overhand or three quarters throughout most of my career. Uh, and then I got here, um, just kind of an overview of my career. I, I pitched uh, one inning my freshman year. Mm-hmm. Uh, got hurt, had a, a small labor and tear. Uh, later got cut my freshman year. Um, and then walked back on the team, uh, worked on, you know, velo and um, command and all that stuff. Had a great fall. Uh, and this is my sophomore year. Yeah. Um, that season, I ended up actually like kind of having the yips. I couldn't find the strike zone at all. It was like a force field was around it, you know. <laughs> um, and then Coach Moose was like, "Hey, listen, like you know, at this point, we're just gonna have to try sidearm." And ever since then, we never really looked back. I remember the first time I tried it, we had a bullpen. We were playing UNC in the midweek, and. Um, it went really well. It was just one of those things where I was like, well, I'm just going to try this and see how it goes. Nothing to lose. And uh, like I said, I never really looked back. It's, it's been really nice since. So then going back to now last season, your junior year, you had kind of an up-and-down year, but you ended on a high note uh, in the Big Ten tournament against the eventual national runners-up in Michigan. And what did it mean for you to kind of go into that outing, big stadium out in Omaha, and kind of just keep the Terps in the game? Now, like you said, your relationship with Tyler, he kind of struggled at the beginning of that game. But in that outing specifically, you came on and, and kind of held down the fort for the time being. Um, what was that experience like for you and your ability to finally, you know, end your season on a, on a positive? Uh, personally, for me, that was actually huge. Um, so a little context for last season, I uh, – I, had pitched well um, through the first half, and then first week of April, I ended up getting a, uh, a hand injury, so I mm-hmm. tore a ligament in my, in my finger. Um, and uh, it was originally misdiagnosed, so they had me coming back very soon, and I was spraying balls. And it was very hard for me mentally to, you know, play out there, and I was wondering what, what was going on um, before I finally figured out I should have stayed out a little bit longer. And then on top of that, I ended up catching pneumonia. So. Ooh. Yeah, it, it was a rough a rough April for sure, and that bled into May a little bit. And, um, you know, finally going in against a really good team in a big stadium and performing well, it just meant the world to me. Um, unfortunately, we didn't come away with a win that game. Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of my development going into summer ball and then this year, uh, just kind of having that under my belt has been a huge confidence booster. Um, saying to myself, like, I pitched very well against one of the best teams in the country was huge for me. So, And then in summer ball for the past couple of years, you've played with the Bethesda Big Train. Now, you're a big Maryland guy, so I'm sure it's nice for you to stay uh, closer to home. For sure. As per usual, what's your experience been like with that team and kind of just working on your craft in the summer? Well, that's great. Um, Sal Colangelo, the head coach over there, is really supportive. And uh, being able to live at home, I also had an internship in the summer, which is great. Um, but just being able to work on my craft and get playing time and, uh, you know, work with the pitching coach there, and just uh, experiment with new things, different grips, um, where the stakes aren't as high. And, uh, you know, there's a real good uh, environment for development and just getting playing time, which is what I really needed after missing a year or, I'm sorry, a month or so yeah. um, the previous season. So. so you're in your senior year now, obviously still a long way to go in this season. But looking past this season, obviously you're going to be out of eligibility. But what are you uh, planning to do in the future? 
Well, I uh, hope baseball works out. Yeah. But if that doesn't work out, I have a uh, I have a job at a company called Centos. Um, I got that job through my internship this last summer, and um, so you know I'm kind of playing both sides. But that's why you know this year I, I'm not too pressed about um, you know what if I don't pitch well. You know that's why I'm just going out and having fun. Because I know if it doesn't work out, I still have a job. And if it does work out, that's great. And yeah. I get to keep playing. So That's great. So um, I want to talk a little more about your relationship with this current team. Sure. So um, coming into the season, did your coaches tell you at all, like, what your specific role was going to be out of the pen? Because obviously uh, Mer John Murphy uh, left last year. So now there's not really a set closer on this team. Um, was there ever talk of – you know, maybe someone will take that role. Were you ever, like, in consideration for Because obviously we haven't seen it yet, but you have been pitching in the later innings. You closed out the game yesterday against Delaware. Not a save situation, but got two innings. Um, so, like, coming into the season, did you sit down with the coaches at all or even, even your fellow teammates and be like, this is what I need to do this season, not even just to help the team, not even from a personal level? So, uh, normally my job is coming in with a very righty-heavy lineup. Yeah. Um, but – uh, the thing I was told is, you know, we have a couple guys that are down right now and um, I'm going to need to come in in the later innings and hold stuff down. And, you know, we have uh, some other guys that are good in the late innings as well. So this year, basically, I've been told we're going to do a close by committee and, you know, let things fall as they may. And, um, you know, if some guy steps up into the role, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. But we have enough really talented arms that we can all kind of handle the, the burden right now which is awesome. So the atmosphere on this year's team, uh, we, I mentioned it's a very young team. Mm -hmm. You've got even guys like Maxwell who are sophomores who are very important parts of it. What's the atmosphere like in the, in the dugout first and then also in the bullpen? Like, is there someone out there who usually keeps it loose and just, you know, keeps everyone motivated or is it kind of just a team effort? Uh, I'll tell you what, the, the bullpen's always loose. It's, <laughs> it's really fun. It's a nice escape from the dugout. Um, usually I'm down there with Mark. Uh, maybe Trevor, um, Hefley is always great having down there. Um, and then just wh whatever pitchers filter in and out throughout the game. Mm -hmm. Um, usually myself and Mark and maybe Stain will go down there in the fifth. And, um, then as the game progresses, we have more and more guys come, come down there and to the point where most of the staff's down there. And it's, yeah. it's very fun. You know, you, you're kind of away from the coaches and stuff and you get to chill and so, I mean, that doesn't mean you're not serious in there, but, yeah. you know. It, it, Got to stay loose during a nine-inning baseball game. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, out of all, you've been on a lot of road trips at this point. Um, sure. What's the nicest bullpen away from the Bob? Because the Bob is the paradise that we know it to be. <laughs> um, what's the nicest bullpen away from the Bob that you've been to? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, last week at Coastal was very nice. Uh, TD Ameritrade is, yeah. I would say, probably the best. Um Let's see. Um, Nebraska's is very nice. Um, I, I would say those are the top three, just off the top of my head. I have All to right. think a little That's, more. Okay. So, coming back to this season, um, you've got the team, which is now sitting at 7-4, and four, uh, right coming into this weekend at home against Bryant. Coming off the sweep, what's the overall mindset uh, in the clubhouse and with the team about what needs to be done throughout the rest of non-conference play? Because you've got this home series against Bryant – then a tough weekend next weekend against TCU. Um, do you guys want to get ahead before conference play? What's kind of just the overall uh, mindset there? Yeah, I think uh, we do want to get ahead before conference play. You know, a win's a win, and winning a lot's great. Um, but I think uh, one silver lining from this last weekend is we've we faced a little adversity. You know, this is something that um, – this is our chance to respond, our chance to go in with a high note going into TCU and then later uh, Big Tens. So I, I think in a way this is a, a pretty important series for us, even though it doesn't carry any conference weight in just building momentum. All right. Well, Elliot, I thank you so much. Uh, thanks for joining us, and best of luck the rest of the way. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Once again, our thanks to Elliot Zoner. The fuzz can be seen this weekend. The Terps will be welcoming the Bryant Bulldogs into the bomb. Bryant this season just 2-8. and eight. 
with an entirely new coaching staff and Ryan Colsterman, his first season at the helm. But last year, Bryant, a 40-win team, made it to the NEC championship game where they lost to CCSU, Central Connecticut State, besting them there. But they come in, going to be a solid uh, couple of pitching matchups. On Saturday, you're going to have Tyler Madison going up against Sean Fisher, another righty in Tyler Schaff against Nick Dean on Saturday. And on Sunday, Will Troyal will go against Sean Burke for the Terps. Ben, who is going to be your pick to click for this weekend for Maryland? Um, it's it's tough to say he's not clicking, um, but, I mean, I think Maxwell Costas is due for, and he, he had those two home runs, but he hasn't been the force he was last year. He hasn't been the guy where sort of every time he comes up to bat, everybody's on the edge of their seat and, and you're waiting for him to go break a car window or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is the kind of weekend. It's solid pitchers bringing in solid velocity. Rob Vaughn talked about that uh, with with uh, with in the postgame yesterday. But I think he has been putting good at-bats on, putting solid swings on, um, and not quite getting the results um, that you would expect from him. And that's weird to say of a guy who's hitting 370 or, or whatever he is and, and has put a couple balls, you know, out onto Capital One at, at midfield. Yeah. But he, I think, is due, um, and, and I feel like this weekend at home, maybe a little bit nicer weather is the time for it to happen where he's going to come out and have one of those weekends he had last year where it's eight extra base hits, and every time he comes up, the Terps' score changes. Um, so I think he's really – I think this is the weekend where he's going to go because he hasn't shown any signs of having a sophomore slump, and I think this is where he's going to go really in the opposite direction and just start punishing baseballs. <laughs> um, and a lot of that's a gut feeling, yeah, I will admit. Of course. Um but but I think I think these should be uh, good matchups for him, and I think he's he's going to get some of those hard fastballs from the Bryant guys, and he is going to park them. So at least at least three homers this weekend for Maxwell. All right, you heard That's it bold. here first. Going to double his home run count. <laughs> My pick to click for the weekend is uh, it's actually going to be Tav and Shahidi. So Tav, we finally saw the power start to break out a little bit. Now he has kind of struggled behind the plate; hasn't really had much success throwing guys out yet. So if Justin Vote is still out and Shahidi has to step into that role, this Bryant team runs a lot. So he's going to be tested this weekend. But I think he's finally going to get it going, get his arm set, try and throw out a couple of these runners, and kind of keep them at bay. He's been doing a pretty good job blocking the ball behind the plate. So it's just a matter of making those throws down to second base and, and getting those runners out. And I think Bryant is going to try and run a lot on Tavin this weekend, and I. I think that he's going to step up to the challenge. Yeah, and, and if I'm Brian, I I would try to to run on him just because he's not e- even if he had he had looked better uh, in in the few throws he's had to make so far. He's just he's just not tested at the D1 level behind the plate. Um, so I think like like I talked about earlier, a lot of it falls on the pitchers and the pitching coach to help him out with that. And and it'll be easier Friday night when you have a lefty who can really do a lot to control runners on first base. But you're gonna need to you're gonna need to mix up your tempo. You're gonna need to check on guys a lot, um, because there are ways to compensate if you have a guy who doesn't throw that well. Um, but I think I mean it it feels impossible that he would not be you know working as hard as he can to get there because he he knows the three throws he made against Delaware were not his best. Um, and he, he knows he's a good baseball player. So he, I think, you got to have a combination of he, if and, and you say you think he will, if he puts it together, and if uh, the coaching staff and the pitchers uh, and the catchers and, and hopefully Justin Vogt, even if he's not playing, is, is still, he would I would have to assume, be contributing to this, is you got to make your best possible game plan to uh, to control Bryant's running game uh, when you're without, you know, your strongest armed catcher and you're against a really strong running team. Um, and then once you get them, if, if you can catch them once, then they're going to be thinking twice every time they have to go. Um, and, and you have a little little deterrent to that. So I, I think that's a good pick. And I think it's going to be one of the one of the keys if the Terps want to take all three games in this series. 
Yep. All right, so that will do it for this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Terps will take on Bryant Friday, Saturday, and Sunday this weekend. A 4 o'clock start time scheduled for Friday, Terps pregame show, right here on the Maryland Baseball Network at 3.30, a 2 o'clock start with a 1.30 pregame on Saturday, and the series will wrap up on Sunday, 1 o'clock start, 12.30 pregame show. Ben Fisher, thank you so much for joining me. I know it's a long walk over here for you <laughs> right down the hallway. Um, once again, I'm Zach Solon. Hope you'll join us this weekend as the Terps look to improve upon their 7-4 and four record against Bryant. Thanks for listening. <laughs>